for meditation this afternoon, please turn with me to Genesis, the 29th chapter. Genesis 29. We'll begin our reading at verse 15. Genesis 29, beginning at verse 15, and just to set a bit of context here, uh, we pick up the story here of Jacob. Jacob has, um, is the son of um, Isaac, which is the son of Abraham. Um, he double-crossed his brother. He cheated him and ran for his life and uh, came, it says, um, came to Laban, which is his... Um, um, relative, a far distance away to be safe from the wrath of his brother Esau. And now we pick up the story as Jacob is working with Laban uh, for a month, um, and uh, he's basically working for him for free. And so we pick up here uh, Genesis chapter 29, verse 15. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah, and his maid, Zilpah his maid for a handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this? That thou hast done unto me, did I not serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, I must not be, it must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her, worry, fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave, that is, Laban gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him, that is, Laban, yet seven other years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me. Because I have borne him three sons, therefore was his name called Levi. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. I've read unto the last verse in chapter 29. 
As we consider the events here that have taken place, <clears throat> we see that the Scripture is true when, uh, I believe it was the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians where he said that um, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And so as Jacob in his own life was a cheater, here we read the story where he himself was cheated in a significant way. Um, as we as we understand the the story here the fact that it was that it is in the scripture as a historical lesson and the fact that god worked through the lineage of jacob and through this is not an endorsement of what took place here and what i mean by this is that it was never god's design that man would marry multiple wives very clear from the beginning, when God created that, that was not his design. And we can kind of see what happens when you have multiple people in a relationship like this. The jealousy and the, the, the other things that happen in that relationship, again, because it was never God's original design. But what happens is, even though in this account here, that many of the things that happened to Jacob himself as he cheated his brother Esau, and now he was cheated, and multiple dysfunctions that we see as it plays out, that God himself was not limited to carry out his overall plan of redemption. The plan of bringing out about his will through imperfect people, people that were making mistakes and significant mistakes, and had to bear the consequences of those mistakes. So we want to make sure that there's no illusion here that this was not God's perfect way. This was not his design. And so as we understand the, the, the situation as Jacob now is serving at that time, there was a bride price here in North America, that's unusual. We can't really fully comprehend that. In other parts of the world, there are many places in the world where there is a bride price. The groom who'd like to marry somebody needs to uh, negotiate with the family for how much to pay for the daughter, to have the privilege of marrying them. And so it was, as in this case, there was a bride price, seven years of labor, and in some places, uh, when, when I was in Papua New Guinea, that was the uh, uh, normal way that it's not just one, the groom negotiating with the bride's family. It's an entire family situation where they pool their resources in and come up with a bride price. And they, in, in that country, in that, uh, that um, culture, they pay the bride price typically with a number of animals. In their case, it was a number of pigs. And you can imagine, um, it's hard for us to comprehend that. If you're a husband, you know, think of your wife, how many pigs is she worth to you? And that's a foreign concept for us to really understand, or how much would you work in that sense? But this was a normal situation in, in, in their culture at that time. So there was a, a, a price agreed to work for seven years. For this, And when the seven years were fulfilled, Laban, being a schemer, decides that he's got a problem on his hands. He's got two daughters. Leah is the older one. And it says in verse 17 that Leah was tender-eyed. The Hebrew term for that is really uncertain. 
We don't fully know what that means. It's, it's, it's probably a term like, like, uh, is also used in Genesis when it says he was gathered unto his people. And which means that this person died. It's not a literal translation. Just like somebody says, uh, you know, you know, in exasperation, this person is driving me up the wall. This, this, that doesn't literally mean that. Just like he was gathered unto his people is a poetic way of saying that they passed away. And here it says tender eyes, and it gives a contrast in verse 17. It says Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. So something was up with Leah that um, she was not desirable, as desirable. It was because literally something was wrong with her eyesight that she couldn't see very well, or or perhaps her, 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 her eyes, um, either she couldn't see well, or there was something that was unbecoming in her eyes in the way <clears throat> that she was born. We don't fully know. But Laban didn't have a suitor for Leah. And so he hatches a plan here to not only have her married off, but also to get the full bride price of seven years. And so he hatches this scheme and is successful in doing this. When Jacob awakes the next morning and realizes he's married to the wrong person, or certainly not to the person that he expected to be married to. And Laban, in his scheming, is able to extract another seven years of labor for Rachel herself. And it says within a week, he was able to also marry Rachel, so he didn't have to wait another seven years, but he had to labor another seven years for her. So you can imagine, if you put yourself in the place of of, uh, Leah, that this would be an awkward situation. Differences between siblings is... um, a ripe opportunity for rivalry, for um, jealousy, for envy, for all kinds of things that well up in the human heart as we recognize we are not as good as one of our other siblings. And there could be all kinds of different ways that that's expressed. Here it was evidently expressed in beauty. It could be in... Um, Many different ways, how smart a person is, how social or popular, how successful one is in a career, how musically talented someone is, or a natural leadership, or one that is older versus one that is younger. Some capability or some set of capabilities that one sibling excels compared with another. And it's not just necessarily siblings either. This could be a friend. This could be a cousin, an extended family member. It could be the result of, uh, we have the, this, 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 um, often to keep up with the neighbors, keep up with the Joneses in the sense that there's a rivalry sometimes among neighbors as well, that one has to outdo the other in some form. And this rivalry is part of our fallen nature, our human nature, as we try to compare ourselves and contrast ourselves and try to stand out. And we realize we come up wanting that we really can't. We're not as good as this other person that we're comparing ourselves to. But what we see then in verse 31 for Leah in particular, that God did not forget about her plight. 
See, she was disadvantaged in some way, as we described earlier. But God gave her a special grace to be able to bear children that was something of extreme value, not only to her personally, but certainly in that culture as well. And often we see through the scripture that those who um, are handicapped or disadvantaged in some way, that God provides a special grace or a special way. I wouldn't say, it's, I wouldn't use the term to compensate for their disadvantage, but in His goodness and in His grace, He provides a means for them to experience His blessings in a different way. Sometimes we have to look for that different way. Because none of us have, have it all together. None of us are gifted in every, in every way. We can always think of someone who is able to do things better than we can or is gifted in some special way. And if we don't take a step back and think through about the grace that God has given to us and be appreciative of the grace that God has given to others, we can feel, start begin feeling those feelings of envy and jealousy, wishing we had what this other person has. And in that mindset, we miss out the things that God has actually, the special grace and favor that he has provided to us. God has a special heart to those who are, uh, who have special needs. We read that in Isaiah 40, uh, verse 11. <clears throat> we can read as the prophet Isaiah wrote, He shall feed, this is talking about God, God shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. See, he's calling out some special those that have special needs, those that are young, those that are weak, those that are incapable of being able to manage on their own. In a sense, that those that are lambs, he says he carries them personally in his arms. He says, those that are with young. See, when as a mother with young, especially as you think of sheep, they not only have to take care of their own needs, but also the needs of their offspring. And so they are far more vulnerable to a predator, a vulnerable to, and we think in, in our in our own lives at times where we have additional responsibility or significant responsibility, that it's easy to become feel overwhelmed or um, incapable of carrying out the task that God has given to us. And here we we see the heart of God that He is going to gently lead us when we are in those circumstances because he understands our frame. He knows that we are um, fallible, that we experience weakness and doubt and, 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 and uh, maybe lack the courage necessary. And so rather than continuing at the, as a shepherd, rather than trying to continue at the pace of, of moving forward, the shepherd knows this and will slow things down to accommodate the special needs that are within the flock. And this is the picture in the heart of God that we see 
Not only in this scripture that we've read in, in, in Isaiah, but also here within Genesis and many other examples where that is the case. And so if you find yourself in a place that way where you may feel overwhelmed, where you may feel that you can't necessarily know what the right next step is or, or how to handle life circumstances or you feel you're at a disadvantage, know that the heart of God has a special grace that he desires to extend to you and to open your eyes to that he has given you a way to um, glorify him in probably more than one way, in many ways. In this way, when he gave the gift of, of, of bearing children to Leah, this was meant to glorify him. And... We see that in her response in verse 32, she says, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. We can see here a cry desiring affirmation, wanting to be loved, wanting to feel that, that, that special bond that God originally created between husband and wife that was evidently lacking in their relationship. And here she's like, finally he's going to notice me. Finally I've given him something of value. And we see the first child here, we, we see strong words, that he will love me. And then the second child, when he can see, is that she, is, she feels that I was hated. And the third child, that finally my husband will be joined. Love, hate, to be joined together. These three things that were part of her heart's cry that she was not receiving, even when she did bear him children. This affirmation. All of us have a need to be affirmed. This is God's design. He has designed us as, as human beings to be affirmed, but often we go seeking affirmation in the wrong places. I, I think the Apostle Paul maybe described it best when he wrote in Romans 8, 20, verse 23. It says, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Here the Apostle Paul is talking about a gap. A gap between what is and what ought to be. A gap between the feeling that we've all experienced at a time when we feel that we're missing out. There's something that's missing. And that it ought not to be this way. And it's probably true. Not always, our, fe- our feelings are not always correct. Sometimes we're, 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 uh, we're feeling things that, um, in a way that uh, because our consciences are not necessarily properly aligned or calibrated to God's word. But sometimes our feelings are accurate. That there is a gap between what we're experiencing now and really what ought to be. God's original design, especially that for marriage in this particular circumstance, was that the husband and wife would be joined together. That they would be of one mind and that there would be love that would reign in that relationship, that one would not feel that there's a gap or that they'd be hated or, 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 or passed over as Leah was feeling here. 
And so as the Apostle Paul wrote that, it says that our spirit groans at times when we recognize that there's a gap, that, that there's something that is wrong. And that God came to bridge that gap between what is and what ought to be. Maybe we could use even that term. He's the God of the gap. God of the gap between our human condition and the redemption of our bodies. Not these temporal bodies, but to redemption of our eternal bodies. To be at one with him when those gaps are done away with. When we experience the fullness of his love. The fullness of what he originally designed from the beginning of creation. In so many ways, we, uh, like Leah here, we take sometimes the gifts that God has given to us as a way to uh, receive affirmation from other people. That they will like us better, that they will uh, hang out with us more. And this is especially true if you're in your teenagers. You've experienced that. Now, as you're, many of you are going back to school, you, in order to fit in, to receive that affirmation of friendship, to feel like you belong, there's often a peer pressure that you feel to conform, to do things, to fit into the group. And if that peer pressure is positive and good, it's wonderful. But if it's negative, to do things that you know are wrong or the scripture teaches is wrong, you will sometimes find yourself tempted to do it. Maybe you've even had the experience of doing things that you're wrong just to fit in. To receive that affirmation that you belong and are accepted. And if you're seeking for that affirmation, that acceptance in the wrong place, it will lead you down the wrong path. And if you don't recognize that soon enough, it may take you down a path where there will be significant consequences. But God has a better way. A better way rather than seeking for affirmation from the fickle populace, from the fickle, um, uh, uh, fickle things that people find acceptance in in the here and now, he offers acceptance that will transcend the temporary. They will transcend the, the whims of society. See, if, if you think of the, the, the standard for beauty, that has changed over time. And that's a great example of how fickle were the whims of society. For places in, in, in Africa, if you are tall and thin and you have a long neck, that is considered beautiful. At other times in our own history here in, in North America, if you were uh, 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 chubby, that was considered the mark of beauty. At other times, it's the skin color. If you are pure white, that is the mark of beauty. In other cultures, it's not whiteness, it's brown. If you have golden skin, that's the mark of beauty. And we could pretty much measure all, most facets of, of, of people's physical appearance 
at one time or another, in some culture, in some way, in some way, that was considered a mark of beauty. And if you happen to be at a time and a place where that is no longer in fashion, then you will consider, you'll be considered an outsider and you won't feel that same acceptance or feel beautiful or handsome. And yet, it's not because God designed that standard of beauty. No, he's created diversity for a reason. And there's beauty in that diversity. And so if we take our standard of beauty for what society tells us in this time and in this place, we, most of us, will come up short. Or at least some point in our life, we will come up short. Which is why we cannot take the world's standards for what is valuable, what is beautiful, what is of, of, um, something to attain to. Because that's going to change on a moment's notice. And change not only from time to time, but from culture to culture as well. Instead, we have to recognize and appreciate that God has made each of us unique in some form. And to celebrate that uniqueness and to use it for God's glory. We read in in, in Ephesians, the the fourth chapter, that... um, In verse 12, this is where, verse 11, this is a description of how God distributes his gifts. It says that he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfect, and that list is not all inclusive. This is just some examples. He says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why he also stated, I believe in Romans, where it says, whatever we do, that we do to the glory of God with whatever capacity that we have. And finally, we see in in, in Leah's circumstance here that after she had her fourth son, she recognized the fallacy, the foolishness of trying to receive acceptance from her husband. And she expressed, now will I praise God the Lord. Finally recognizing that God, this was a gift from God, not to gain acceptance from others, but purely because God was good and that this was going to glorify him. Sometimes we do that with God, to find acceptance with God. We say, well, God, I'm going to sacrifice this for you. I'm going to do this and that. And, and, and then we expect God to do certain things for us. And when those things don't match, then we feel frustration or misunderstood or wondering, what, why is, didn't God see what I did here? Why is he not, why don't I feel accepted by him? And that's because we've misconstrued what acceptance by God himself really means. We can read in Romans, the the, the fifth chapter, that acceptance by God is not something that we earn. This is something that has already been given. It says, but Romans 5, the eighth uh, verse But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Another scripture says that 
that he loved us before we could love him. Or he first lo- we f- love him because he first loved us. That we were already accepted by God. And we didn't have to earn his favor that way. He already did all things necessary in order for us to be accepted by him. We see now in Jacob's experience that he came. He had a problem. We call it the morning after problem. He had built up in his mind that after working for seven years that he was going to get finally what he had worked for. And he woke up the morning after and realized that's not what he got. This is a problem that most of us have experienced. And if you haven't experienced it yet, you will experience that. That is, you've set up some expectation that you're going to achieve something of significance. And when you arrive at that moment, you suddenly realize it's not really what you expected it to be. In this case, this was talking about a marriage relationship. That can happen in a marriage relationship where someone gets married and after a few months or a few years, they suddenly realize it's not working out as I really expected it to be. Maybe I married the wrong person. And we see our society full of people that feel they've married the wrong person and go running after finding, trying to find someone else. Not realizing that They're looking for the fulfillment that only God can provide in a in a relationship and trying to put on the expectation on someone that is even as close as their spouse, expectations that can never be realized. Unrealistic expectations. That doesn't mean that we can't improve in our marriage relationships and at at times we are the one at our fault when our spouse is feeling unloved and unaccepted that we have not been providing those ways of affirmation, words of affirmation, either through through what we speak to them and encouragement or providing means that we, 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 we show that we value them. And often we fall short of those things. And that is not an excuse. That, that, that we have to say, well, I, I can never provide full affirmation, therefore I won't even try. That's not, um, that doesn't give us an excuse to do that. We ought to do everything we can to um, love our spouse and show that way, or love our children in that way. But our children will never receive the necessary love if it just comes from us. As parents, we have to introduce them to the love of the Father. So that they can experience that true oneness and the fulfillment that can only come when they receive that love, recognize that love from God and, 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 and then reciprocate that love back to him. But it doesn't just happen in a marriage relationship. That can happen and if we are, are, are pursuing a career and we reach that pinnacle, we're at the the the, the climax of our career, or maybe we just got our degree, and, and we realize, well, I thought there was more to this. Or we own something of value that we've always looked forward to. Maybe it's a home, 
or a particular kind of home, or maybe it's a vehicle of some sort, or maybe it's, it's um, a possession of some type, and we realize it doesn't provide that same lasting fulfillment as we expected. It was recently that um, on um, LinkedIn, there was a valedictorian that put so much effort into his schooling. And he was chosen as the valedictorian, and he, made, he gave a very surprising speech. He basically said that he viewed being the top of his class was something to attain to. And so he worked so hard, he, 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 he didn't invest in relationships that he should have in order to be the top of the class. And finally, when he achieved it, and when it was announced that he was the valedictorian, he felt this euphoria, wow, that he did it. He he achieved this great achievement that only one person in his class could ever achieve. And he said it lasted all of about 15 seconds. And then he realized, wait a second, what did I give up in order to achieve such a significant um, achievement. Now, it's not to say that trying to achieve and do your best is the wrong thing, but if, but at what cost? If it's costing us our relationship with those that are closest to us, if it's costing our relationship with God, if it's costing us our ability to fellowship with God, with, with God's children, because we're pursuing our, 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 our schooling and we have to study and we don't have time to come to church, we don't have time to be with our friends, or pursuing our career in such a way because we think it's going to give us some significant value, we're going to come up short. Because God never designed those things to be the fulfillment that we sometimes expect it to bring. And we have this morning after problem that Jacob experienced too. That we realize we've been duped. We've been cheated. And we've been cheated by the enemy who has influenced our thinking to somehow make this goal so big and so valuable that we've invested so much of our time and energy, and it doesn't pan out. What is the solution to that? The solution is to realize that God, as the giver of all gifts, has provided many of these things to bless us, to provide value and, 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 and meaning in life, but none of them, are ever to take the place of God himself. Where, if we invest in that relationship, if we serve and worship him as described in the scripture, then we will begin to experience the fulfillment or the design, God's original design, to have fellowship with each one of us. That this fellowship is not just a temporary thing. In fact, it cost God everything. In order to make that relationship possible, he gave his life to make that a possibility. To make it possible to extend an invitation to whosoever will to come to him and experience the ultimate fulfillment. 
so that we don't have to experience the morning after problem or we don't have to experience the lack of affirmation and seek it in the wrong ways or in the wrong places, but instead to go to him and experience that fully. But even those of us that are believers, we've, we've struggled with this as well at times as we know that that's the right answer, but at times we forget it and need to be reminded of that. And at times we, we need to remind one another of those things, which is why it's important to gather together, to talk of those things, or to express sometimes our disappointment at the way things are working out in our life, and, and have others encourage us and to point us to the right solution in the right way. We risk that if we look for the solution in the wrong place, we risk of potentially becoming cynical or becoming bitter or thinking that we've been passed over. And this is, of course, the enemy's way of trying to discourage us or to keep us from experiencing God and how he has bridged the gap between what we're experiencing now and what we, what he desires for us to experience. Because when we turn to him and when we recognize the the difference between the gifts that he's given to us that we are to use to glorify him rather than we receive that fulfillment from it. And instead, it's a pointer to the gift giver himself. That's when we receive that affirmation, that um, the grace that he gives to us to cover the gap, the forgiveness of our sins, the the salvation that he has provided for us and that we then can experience the bridge over those gaps and experience the fulfillment as he designed for us to experience. Amen.